Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. We'd love to meet you, so come visit us on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. or 11.30 a.m. at the Viscardi Center at 201 IU Willits Road in Albertson, New York. Now, Beacon is a non-for-profit, and if you shop Amazon, you can support the work at Beacon by selecting the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. And a small portion of every purchase will help move our work forward. Remember to shop at smile.amazon.com and select the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you and hope to see you soon. Lord, we come before you knowing that you are a God of awesome and incredible wonder and delight. We know that you are worthy of our love and our adoration. We know, Lord, that to draw close to you would be the greatest experience that we could ever fathom. This is what you promise us in your word, and it's what we've all experienced. In fact, even if we haven't experienced the longings that we have, the desires that we, we go after in this world that go unmet, Lord, they, they're just an echo of our longing for you. I'm praying that this year, people here throughout our spiritual family, throughout our congregation, would have that longing satisfied in you. That this would be the year, Lord, where they surrender, they seek forgiveness, where they look for the deeper experience of your presence in their life, where they they long for your power to manifest every day, not just occasionally, once in a while, but every day. You are our greatest joy. We pray, Father, that we would satisfy ourselves fully and completely on you. Lord, there are so many things in this world, so many things that get us nervous and worried and create anxiety, and there's tension in the national, international realm. And Lord, what we pray for is that you, who are the king of this world, you who are called the Prince of Peace, Lord, that you would bring peace, that you would give our leaders wisdom, that you would draw them to yourself, that they also would seek you first above everything, that they might lead us into your full will for each and every one of us and as a country. And Lord, we pray for our church that this year would be an incredible time Lord, where lives would be transformed, where marriages would be restored, where sin would be beaten, where sickness would be healed, where hearts would be mended, where we as brothers and sisters in Christ would be knit together to experience the fullness of what it means to be your children expression here of your love and Lord may we live 
for the good of, the, of our communities. May we live for the expansion of your kingdom work here and throughout this island. We're asking, Lord, that you would give us a God-sized dream. We pray now that as whichever comes to open up your word to us, that our hearts would be sensitive to your voice, that we, you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit has to say to us, Lord. We want you to meet us here in a special way. We want to be able to use these moments to surrender more fully and completely, Lord, to you. Let it be so. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Happy New Year. Hope you guys had a nice holiday. New Year's always uh, an interesting time of year because there's this added level of introspection, which depending on how the last year went, may be a fun thing or maybe a painful thing. But uh, there's this, this kind of thinking where we, we look over the last year and we assess how things went in the past year and we look forward to the coming year and we start to plan, we start to set out some goals and aspirations and dreams for the coming year. And if my social media feed is any indication, this seems to actually be amped up a little bit extra this year. I don't know if you've noticed this as well. Uh, and I think that's in large part because we're not welcoming in a new year. We're welcoming in a new decade. So uh, welcome to the 20s. That's weird to say. Uh, I don't think we have anybody here who was here for the 20s last time they came around, right? No? Uh, a couple people might be close, but nobody. Uh, <clears throat> so we're, we're entering into this new decade, and as we look forward ahead to what's to come, I mean, a lot can happen in 10 years. And the goals and the aspirations and the dreams that we are starting to, to formulate as we process these things in our, our minds, there's a couple of questions that I think we need to be asking as we, we set these goals and dreams. And the, the first question is, are we setting the right goals? I think this is uh, an important question that we may or may not be asking, but the goals that we're setting, they aren't created in a vacuum. There are, are forces at work in our life that are helping shape these goals and dreams, which is why, it, you know, if you go on Facebook or Instagram and you kind of read through all, uh, you know, everybody's New Year's resolutions, they're largely the same, right? There's a lot of overlap between people. There's not like everybody thinks they're the first one to say, I want to lose weight and read more books in 2020. Uh, but we all kind of have the same goals and aspirations because they're, they're formulated, they're, they're kind of conditioned by society and <clears throat> Uh, and different forces at our work. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is, what is leading the way as we formulate these goals and dreams? You know, are, are we being led by societal pressures? Are we being led by our heart? Like, are we just, you know, follow your heart? Which is kind of an interesting thing. Just hear me out for a second. If you're making a New Year's resolution, you've agreed that the status quo is not okay right? Okay, so you want, you want to change, and you got here with your current heart, but you're going to ask that same heart how to get out of the situation. It just doesn't follow. Anyway, uh, so are you, being, are you being led by society? Are you being led by your heart? Or, of course, are you being led by Jesus? Which, if we're Christians, and I, I know not everybody here considers themselves a Christian, but most of you, you you've made that decision. You say, you know, I'm a follower of of Jesus, which means that the goals and the aspirations, the dreams that we have for the next year and the next 10 years should be shaped by Jesus. 
And we're kicking off a new series today called On the Move, where we're studying the gospel of Mark. And we're going to be examining the life of Jesus, trying to see the moves that he makes, the places that he goes, and the ways that he lives out his life so that we can actually emulate him. So we could say, you know, I'm actually going to follow what he did. I want my life to look like his. So we could really authentically say, I'm a follower of Jesus. But there's another question that also comes to mind as we're kind of wrestling with the the goals and the aspirations and the dreams that we're setting for the the coming years. And it's this other question that kind of seeps in. Do we have what it takes to accomplish them? And it's kind of a nagging question. It's one of those ones that pops in and you're like, you know, I I know what I want to do, but am I, am I, going to be able to do it? Do I have what it takes? Am I smart enough? Am I hardworking enough? Do I have the willpower? Do I have the, the talents and gifts and abilities? Do I have the capability to actually accomplish what I'm setting out to accomplish? This actually popped up on my Facebook. It was not posted by any of you, so I feel like it's safe to share this. It says, this is your reminder that you are strong and capable and can handle whatever 2020 throws at you. This is your year to shine. Uh, you know who posts that, right? Somebody who isn't very confident that they're strong or capable and that they can handle whatever 2020 is going to throw at them. The reason we post things like that is because we're not confident and because we feel like we need to convince ourselves that we have what it takes. And we have to ask this question, do we have what it takes? This not only affects the confidence with which we set out to achieve our goals, but it also influences the kinds of goals that we set out to achieve, right? Because we all, we need to be realistic about our goals. We don't want to set goals that we know we're never going to achieve. No matter how big or hairy or audacious these goals might be, we want to make sure that they're within our power. And so we have to ask ourselves, what am I capable of? And this is the question that we're going to really focus on this morning, because this is the question that I think Mark answers for us at the beginning of his gospel. And so if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to open up to Mark chapter 1. Beginning in verse 1, and as you're uh, opening up there, just a a couple of things about Mark. We're going to be working through the first 11 verses, kind of going verse by verse and pulling some things out and putting together the the message that I think he's trying to communicate, but some uh, helpful insights about Mark. So... this, we call this the gospel according to Mark. There's four gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call them gospels because that word gospel, it just means good news. And so these are the good news about Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all kind of write the good news from their personal perspective. And there's a lot of overlap between Mark and Matthew and Luke especially. Uh, but Mark has a couple of distinct uh, distinctives that make his unique. And, and the first one is that Mark, John Mark, is uh, kind of how he's often referred to in scripture. John Mark, Mark, however you want to refer to him, he was part of Peter, the Apostle Peter's ministry team. And so he traveled around with the Apostle Peter, and he was an interpreter for Peter. So for years, Peter has been sharing these stories uh, of his encounters with Jesus to peoples throughout Uh, throughout the whole region. And Mark was interpreting these stories for Peter. So Mark has been telling these stories for years and and eventually decides that he's going to write them down. And and we don't know exactly when he wrote them down, but uh, most scholars believe that it was sometime just after Peter died. And so Peter, he was executed. And Mark said, you know, I want to write these things down. I want to make sure that the teachings of Peter don't die with him, that they're preserved for the church, not just in his generation, but even for us today. So we have these now because Mark decided to, to write them down, which is 
awesome. Super grateful for that. Uh, another interesting thing about Mark is he's the shortest of the Gospels. Uh, his Gospel is the shortest of the Gospels, and it's the briefest. He doesn't really use a lot of like explanations. He just kind of says things in passing and move on. It's very fast-paced, actually. He's just bouncing from one thing to the next. And, and there's a couple of important things about his brevity, the fact that he's so brief and he doesn't explain things, that are important for us to keep in mind as we are studying Mark. And the, the first one is this. The fact that the fact that Mark doesn't explain things often, he doesn't add a lot of extra details, means that when he does add details, it's not on accident. So when he pauses and he stops and he repeats himself or he says something or he explains something, there's a reason why he's doing it. He's not fast and loose with his words. And so we should be mindful of that as we're reading through it to see, oh wait, why, why is this in here? And ask those questions. The, the second reason this is important is that scholars tell us that uh, the reason Mark doesn't have to explain himself is because his audience understands what he's talking about. They're familiar with a lot of these stories and a lot of these key people and details already. So when people know what's going on, you don't need to stop and explain. So for instance, if I were to say that uh, Kim and Kanye bought North Michael Jackson's iconic jacket and his smooth criminal hat for Christmas, <clears throat> there's a group of people in this room that know exactly what all of that means. Uh, it sounds like nonsense, but some of you know what that means and it doesn't need to be explained to you because you're familiar with the people and the details <laughs> in that sense. And then there's the rest of you that are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, and, and the level to which you're familiar with this information is it determines how much you need to explain. And so the scholars tell us the fact that Mark doesn't need to explain a lot of things, he's able to just kind of say them in passing, it indicates that he was talking to a group of people that were familiar with these people and these stories and these details. And so they tell us that Mark, his audience, he isn't writing to non-believers who don't know about Jesus. He's writing specifically to Christians who are already familiar with the stories of Jesus. And he's writing this as an encouragement to them to build them up and to boost their faith. And so the messages that Mark is communicating, these messages are for, for people just like you. This is a gospel written to people in your shoes, Christians who are familiar with these stories, who he wants to build up and encourage in your faith. And I, I love the way he starts out this gospel. He says in verse one, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He says this is the beginning, and then he immediately follows that up with, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. What I find fascinating about this is in Mark's mind, the beginning of the good news about Jesus doesn't start at the cross. It doesn't start with the ministry of Jesus. It doesn't start with the birth of Jesus. In Mark's mind, the the story of Jesus, the gospel, the good news of Jesus starts centuries earlier with the prophets. He's saying that this story about Jesus, this goes way, way back. This isn't starting right now. No, no, no. This, this goes all the way back to the beginning. Uh, often skeptics will say, what makes Jesus any different than like Muhammad or Joseph Smith or L. Ron Hubbard or any of these other guys that said, I had a revelation from God. And, and this is part of that answer. Of course, there's the whole like dying and rising from the dead. That, that's another one. But there's also this other part that Jesus didn't just come out of nowhere and like take Judaism on this crazy unexpected left turn. No, no. Jesus had been prophesied from the beginning. Prophets had been talking about the coming Messiah. So he was, he was expected. People were waiting for him. So Mark says it begins back with the prophets. And here's the prophecy that he points to. 
he chooses this particular one. He says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. So he says, there's this prophecy that a messenger is going to come to prepare the way for the Messiah. And then he says in verse four, so John the Baptist appeared, right? So the prophecy said, there's going to be a messenger. John the Baptist is here. He is that messenger. And this is a, this prophecy, the prophecies that are listed here, they're really bold claims. At face value, it seems like it's talking about John. It's talking about the messenger. But if you look closely, you realize it's not really about John. It's actually about the one whom John is preparing the way for. And uh, Mark is pulling from two different prophecies here. The first one is Malachi 3.1. And here's what it says. I will send my messenger, John the Baptist, who will prepare the way before me. Then Suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So who, who says it? The Lord Almighty. And he says, he's going to prepare, this messenger is going to prepare a way for me, the Lord Almighty. And then in Isaiah 40, this is the second uh, prophecy listed. It says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for who? The Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for who? our God. So John the Baptist is this messenger, this prophesied messenger who is coming, preparing a way for God, the fullness of God to come dwell among people. You you see what's going on here, that Mark is actually making a statement about who this promised Messiah is, that he's not just another prophet. He's not an angel. He's not uh, a teacher or a revolutionary. He is the son of God and God himself. And John prepared a way for God himself. In verse four, he says, so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. Now, just a a side note, John the Baptist, uh, that title is not referencing his denominational affiliation. It's not like John the Baptist versus John the Presbyterian or John the Methodist. Uh, This has absolutely nothing to do with like a branch of theology or an affinity for potlucks and casseroles, uh, which if you grew up Baptist, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, So it's actually more saying John the Baptizer, because this is what he did. He was famous for baptizing people, which is what Mark says. He says, uh, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. It says that he, he came, he was baptizing people in water as this symbolic way of representing their repentance and that their sins were forgiven on account of this. And we're going to spend uh, much more time next week looking into this idea of repentance. But Mark wants you to know at the, the very beginning that as John is preparing a way for the gospel, that, that repentance and forgiveness is going to play a, a core uh, central role in this good news about Jesus. There's no two ways about it. Repentance and forgiveness is, is going to be mixed up right in the, the, the center of what this good news of Jesus 
is all about. And it says that the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to see him. Like there's a lot of hyperbole here. I'm sure not every person in Jerusalem went out to see him, but you get this picture that John was not some like backwoods nobody who just kind of sprung up out of nowhere and said, I'm the messenger. No, like everybody knew who he was. He had celebrity status. People in town were coming out to the countryside, all right? So, I mean, like Jerusalem is like the New York City of of Israel. John the Baptist is like the Hamptons. Like people are just coming out and and they're not going out to see beaches. They're coming out to see him. Like he has this kind of celebrity status. And and I think it's probably because of this celebrity status that Mark now takes this kind of strange detail to talk about what John wore. Uh, In verse six, it says, John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. Like why in the world is Mark including this? It's like all of a sudden like John showed up on the red carpet. It's like, wow, John, you look fantastic. And who are you wearing? Oh, well, uh, thank you. I'm, I'm wearing a camel hair cloak made by uh, Mark Jacobs. And uh, oh, this belt, it's a Prada belt made with Jordanian leather. Yeah. Oh, well, y- you look fantastic. It fits perfectly. Y- have you lost some weight? Oh, well, thank you. Yes, yes, I have. I- I've actually been on this very strict diet of locusts and wild honey. Thank you for noticing. Uh, what in the world is Mark talking about? Why does he include this? Remember, Mark doesn't like throw out details that are extraneous. And he's doing something very specific. He's actually drawing parallels between John the Baptist and the Old Testament prophets of Elijah and Elisha and other prophecies and other prophets, because it's all pointing to this, this idea that John the Baptist is the culmination of all the Old Testament prophets, that he's the final prophet, the final one who's pointing ahead because finally the one who's to come. The one who all of these prophets have been talking about for centuries is coming. He's here. John the Baptist comes on the scene and and this is the message that he has to say. In verse seven, this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. He says, I baptize with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So he says three things here, that that Jesus has more power, more honor, and more authority. He's more powerful than I. He says, "I'm I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. Now, this was a slave's job. So at the end of the day, a master would come in and sit down and the slave would bend down and untie his sandals and wash his feet. And John the Baptist is coming out and he says, like, you guys are all coming to see me. You love me. You think I'm a big deal. Guys, I'm not, the one who's coming after me, I'm not even worthy to be a slave in his household. He's on a different level. He receives more honor than you could possibly imagine. And then he says that, that this one who's coming is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And this is not just a promise about the fact that we would receive the Holy Spirit. It is, but it's also a statement of the authority of the one who's coming. Think about this for a second. John the Baptist, he baptized with water because he was commissioned by the the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit used John the Baptist to baptize people in water because that's how it goes, right? The Holy Spirit has the authority and John, he's like, I'm just a vessel. The Holy Spirit uses me to baptize with water, but somebody is going to come. He's not going to baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And what he's saying is for this one who's coming, this promised Messiah, he's not going to just do the Spirit's bidding, that actually the Spirit is going to do his bidding. <laughs> that he has the authority to direct the Spirit because he is on the, the same playing field as the Spirit of God. He is the fullness of God himself. 
Who could possibly check all of these boxes? Mark says in verse 9, nine at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. So Jesus, he's the one who has more honor, more power, more authority. It's God himself in the flesh. And then Mark puts the icing on the cake in, in verse 10. He says, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. So the, the fabric between heaven and earth is starting to tear open. It's getting incredibly thin as the, the two realms are starting to merge. And, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove. And we're going to come back to that in a second. And, and then all of a sudden, you hear this voice from heaven and the Father himself audibly proclaiming, this is my son. I love you. I take such delight and pleasure in you. And, and this idea of the spirit descending like a dove is really unique. It's only here at Jesus' baptism do we see the Holy Spirit acting in this way. And the only thing that comes close is actually in, at the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 1, 1 and 2. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the, the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now this word hovering here, that's translated hovering, it means to flutter. And in fact, it, it carries so much of the connotation of a, a bird that later Jewish, not Christian, but Jewish scholars, they actually talk about this passage and, and say that the spirit was hovering like a dove over the waters at creation. So here you see Jesus at his baptism. Jesus is there in the water, the word, living word of God in the water, and you have the spirit fluttering like a dove over the water, and you have this voice, this audible voice from heaven speaking into this. And it brings you right back to creation. And with all of this, Mark is, is trying to communicate to his audience, to, to you and me, who Jesus is, and he's trying to communicate that the very same creating and sustaining power that was present at creation is back again, and he's about to do something completely new. So Mark wants you to know that the gospel, the gospel comes with power, real power, which is important because if you've tried to follow Jesus, you know it's hard, <laughs> right? Following Jesus isn't that easy, like ever. There's moments where it's like, oh, that wasn't so bad. But pretty much all of it is, it's hard. It's challenging. And Mark is saying, there is power that comes along with following Jesus because Jesus is God himself. And his original audience, they knew how hard it was to follow Jesus. If, if scholars are right, and Mark wrote this just after Peter died, then the church just watched like one of its core leaders crucified upside down for his faith after he had to watch his own wife executed for her faith. And right around the same time, the apostle Paul was also executed for his faith. So imagine, imagine if this was us and all of a sudden, you know, like Chris and Robert, not me, I'll, I'll live forever, but Chris and Robert were executed because of their faith and, and you know persecution is on the rise. Like this is the state of, a state of the church at this time. And, and Mark is like, I, I know what lays before you. It's not going to be easy to continue to follow Jesus. But guys, 
the, the very presence and power of God, the same presence and power that spoke the universe into being is at work in you because there is power in the gospel. Now, you, you have power. Personally, you do. We all have uh, a certain amount of power within us. In fact, you, uh, even as you're sitting there right now, just in a resting state, you're producing enough energy to power a 100-watt light bulb. And like, to just keep it going. Like every second, you're producing 100 watts of energy. So you could, if you could figure out how to like strap it on or whatever, you could just walk around with a 100-watt light bulb going with you everywhere you go, uh, which is kind of cool. And if you add all of that up for like your entire life, all the energy that you'll produce, all the power that you'll produce in your entire lifetime, it amounts to about 50 tons of TNT, which is not a small amount. This is 50 tons of TNT. That's your life. That's pretty impressive, right? That's nothing to, to slouch about. Boom. Yeah, making an impact. It, it seems pretty impressive uh, until you recognize that uh, the sun, like our sun, actually produces 39.6 septillion, that's uh, 24 zeros, 39.6 septillion times that much energy every second. <laughs> so your whole lifetime of energy, the sun is doing 39.6 septillion times every second. In fact, if you put all of our lifetimes together and all the lifetimes of everybody who ever lived, the sun is producing more energy every second. In one second, in one second, you could power a 100 watt light bulb, congratulations. And the sun could power 99 quintillion atomic bombs in a second. And the amount of time it takes you to do this, 99 quintillion uh, atomic bombs. And with a word, God spoke our sun and a billion trillion others just like it into being. And he has been sustaining them every second of every day ever since. And Mark wants you to know that power that was at work in creation is at work in the gospel. And he's at work in your life when you choose to follow Jesus. Yes, following Jesus might be hard, but there is power in the gospel. And over the next 10 years, you're going to need to tap into this power because you're going to face situations where it's going to be hard, not just to endure, but it's gonna be especially hard to follow Jesus in those moments. And some of you might be in those situations right now where you're like, I, I could get through it. I don't know if I could follow Jesus through it. Right? Maybe you're in a moral quandary and you know what the right thing to do is. You know where Jesus would lead you, but you also know that if you follow him, there's going to be consequences. And you don't know if you have the power to endure the consequences. And maybe you don't, but Mark wants you to, wants you to know that Jesus does. He has the power. Maybe you're, you're in a situation where you're dealing with just deep personal loss. And the grief of that loss, it's just been building and building. And you don't know if you have what it takes to, to persist through that. And you know that Jesus is calling you to persevere. But you're running out of steam. And you're ready to, to give up and give in to despair and bitterness. Or maybe you just want to give in to just selfishness and self-indulgence because you, you just can't handle it anymore. You don't have the power. And Mark is saying, yes, but Jesus does. He has the power. He has all the power. Maybe you're in a, a dating relationship and you know it's not honoring to God. And 
yet you don't know if you have the power to make a change. Or you're afraid that if you, you say something, you might ruin the relationship and maybe the thought of singleness is just, it's so awful that you don't know if you'd be able to bear up under that. You might not have the power, but Jesus does have the power. Or maybe you're in a marriage that's falling apart and your friends, your friends tell you, you know, oh, you, you deserve better. You deserve to be happy. And your heart is telling you, you know, we fell out of love a long time ago. But you know that Jesus is leading you to sacrificially love your spouse and give yourself up for them in the same way that Jesus loves his bride, the church, and gave himself up for her. And you know that's where Jesus is leading, but you just don't know if you have the power. And Mark wants you to know, Jesus does. He has all the power. Maybe you're, you're dealing with sinful habits and, and addictions even, and you know this isn't what God wants. You know where Jesus is leading you and you've tried and you've tried and you've tried and you've failed and you've failed and you've failed and you feel like, I don't have what it takes. And Mark wants you to know Jesus does. He has the power. This was Tracy's story. Many of you know Tracy. I'll let her share her story. Something was different about me from the time I was really little. And uh, by the time I was 16 and found a way out through drugs and alcohol, that was it for me. And I had a problem right away. And it's not fun trying to quit drugs and alcohol and not being able to do it. It doesn't matter what I tried to do. It just got worse and worse and worse. And there were psychiatrists and rehabs. You can't figure out why you keep making the same mistakes over and over again. You keep trying to tap into this personal power that doesn't exist. It's a really crummy life away from Jesus. And after 22 years of trying to do this by myself, someone introduced me to Jesus and I started to hear differently. I started to hear something that I needed. And I I can't explain what happened to me. I, I got baptized. I said yes to something I never would have said yes to. And I had to drink through all of it because I didn't have the strength to put the booze down and get baptized like a normal person. I, I couldn't do it alone. But the second I surrendered and said, please God help me, something changed. My attitude and my heart has healed so much letting the power of Jesus guide me. January 15th, 2016 is the year I got sober. With Jesus' help, coming up it will be four years that I haven't had a drink. It took me 22 years to try to do by myself. Jesus did in six months. <laughs> pretty awesome, right? And, and you know who you're applauding right now. It's not Tracy. Tracy will admit, like, she tried for 22 years. You can't put this on her. This was the power of Jesus at work in her life. This is the, the kind of atomic explosive power that comes with following Jesus. And I, I, I don't know what goals and aspirations you have in your mind for the next year or the next decade, but I sincerely hope I do. I sincerely hope that you do not have what it takes to achieve the goals that you're setting. 
I mean that. I hope you don't have what it takes to achieve the kind of goals that you're setting. Because I'll tell you what, you have what it takes to get in shape. You have what it takes to read more. You have what it takes to achieve your career goals. You have what it takes probably to find that special someone and settle down. You probably have what it takes to earn the degree. You probably have what it takes to build a nice life for your family and provide every opportunity for your kids so that they could build a nice life for their family and they could build a nice life for their family and on and on and on and on. You, you probably have what it takes to do these things. And, and there's nothing wrong with those, those goals and aspirations. I'm not, please don't mishear you. I'm not saying that those are, are bad in any way, but those are, those are 100 watt dreams, right? They, they flicker out just as quickly as they come to light. And you're not going to see the, the explosive atomic power of God unleashed in your life going after those dreams. But if you choose to follow Jesus, I don't mean this in like pray a prayer, like in, you know, commit your life to Jesus like as a salvation. I mean that like waking up in the morning and letting your goals and your dreams and your aspirations be directed by Jesus I believe that in the next 10 years, he's going to call some of you into deeper levels of service than you thought ever were possible for you. I think for, for some of you that Jesus is going to lead you to downsize your life. He might lead you to downsize your home, your career. He might lead you to downsize the activities that your kids are involved in. He might ask you and lead you to downsize all sorts of things in your life to make sure that you have more room available, more margin to be able to minister to people. I think for some of you, Jesus is going to lead you out of your well-paying job into something that's less lucrative, but more meaningful. I think for some of you, Jesus is going to lead you to give away more resources than you thought you could possibly stomach in order to advance his kingdom and to provide for the poor and needy. I think Jesus is gonna lead us in all sorts of places that might feel uncomfortable. And in a room this size, I, I hope and expect that Jesus might even lead some of you to pack up your entire lives and plant churches or go be a missionary in a foreign land. God's still sending missionaries. And if not from here, then from where, right? He's leading in these ways. And I think if we're really open to hearing where Jesus is leading us, he's gonna lead you to some uncomfortable places, places that 100 watts isn't enough power. It's not enough to sustain you. But Jesus goes with you and he has all the power, the same creating, sustaining power that bursts the universe into motion. Following Jesus is hard, I, I get it. And following Jesus, there's times where it, it's going to feel like he's asking too much. And following Jesus may lead you directly to a cross but not, not without the same atomic explosive power of the resurrection accompanying with you through that. So I hope in 2020 and in this decade that you have an eagerness to see the power of God displayed in your life and a willingness to follow wherever it goes, no matter how scary, knowing, trusting that the very power and presence of God goes with you. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And as they do, I want to invite you to stand as we pray. And we're going to have a time of worship and reflection as we cry out to God, asking him to unleash this power in our lives once again. Father, we thank you 
for your, your abundant provision, the ways that you come and you empower us to do things that in our own strength we know are simply impossible. We don't have what it takes, but you do. And we thank you for, for being near to us, coming alongside of us. And we pray that you will be doing a work in our hearts. God, where we will increasingly learn to submit to where you're leading, even if it doesn't line up with what we thought maybe would have happened 10 years ago or even last year. But with each new day, we're open and receptive to where you're leading us, trusting that wherever you lead us, your power goes with us and will carry us through. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, 